Why are you a Christian? This is a question that a, a former professor of mine at Concordia Seminary likes to ask his students on the first day of class. Gentlemen, he begins, why are you a Christian? Not you, but it's, uh, it's the kind of question that catches me off guard because it's, uh, it's not the kind of question that I'm expecting as I uh, make my way through life, whether that's uh, me out to buy the groceries or out for a walk or whether maybe I'm just sitting in class on the first day of seminary. And it's certainly the case uh, a, little over 15, or a little under 15 years ago as I sat there in the center aisle about three rows back fumbling for an answer. I mean, why? Why am I a Christian? You know, it's uh, particularly embarrassing because uh, you'd think that of all the people to have an answer to a question like this, you'd think that the guy who's studying to be a pastor uh, would be the kind of guy who had an answer. And, uh, and then I look around the room and I realize I'm not the only one who's fumbling for something to say. And there's this awkward silence and it lasts for what feels like forever. And finally, this guy in the uh, front row raises his hand and he says, uh, I'm a Christian. And you can tell there's a lot of uncertainty in his voice. I'm a Christian because the Bible's God's word. And that's when the, the professor says, is that a question or is that an answer? An answer, he says, with a, a little bit of more confidence. So you read a book, the professor says, and that's why you're a Christian? Well, sort of, he says, uh, and you can already tell that he's regretting his decision to raise his hand and give an answer. Sort of. It's, it's more what that book has to say. You see, Jesus died for my sins. That's the important part. And then you can probably imagine what happens next. This just leads to a series of other questions like, well, who is Jesus? And, and what are your sins? And why is that the important part? You know, truth be told, this guy does admirably, given that he's the first guy to raise his hand. And, and a bunch of other people in the classroom begin to raise their hands, and they begin to have a, a long discussion about this. But I'll never forget what the guy sitting behind me says as the discussion is beginning to wrap up. Raises his hand, and he says, why am I a Christian? You know, that's not such a simple question to answer. It's been almost uh, 15 years, and uh, as I, I think about what he had to say, uh, the more I'm convinced that he is right. I don't think it's because uh, we're ignorant or uneducated. I don't think it's because we're stupid. I don't think it's because we lack answers. I think it's because when you care about something a whole lot, a friend, a family member, a child, your faith, sometimes it's not always clear where to start or what to say when someone asks you for an answer. As we, uh, as we ponder this question today, why am I a Christian? Uh, we do that as we consider the words of the Apostle Peter, who offers to us his answer. Hope. Hope is what Peter says. Hope is the reason that he's a Christian. 
You see, it's uh, with that answer in mind that we turn our attention uh, back to this letter that we've been working our way through on the Sundays in September and early October. And if you, if you happen to be here the week we got started, you learned a little bit of the history and context that this letter, 1 Peter, uh, is written almost 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you learn that it's uh, written from the city of Rome, where Peter is under arrest. And you learn that it's written to a group of Christians on a place called Asia Minor, which we know as modern-day Turkey. And these Christians, they're brand-new Christians. They've just been baptized. They've just learned about the Christian faith. And the, the fact that they trust Jesus, the fact that they shape their whole lives around following him, it makes them really strange. And so you, uh, you learn that at best, uh, these brand new Christians look like outsiders to the people around them. And at worst, at worst, some of these Christians are persecuted for their faith. A fact that we're going to explore a little bit more uh, next week as we wrap up our time in 1 Peter. If you want to have an outline of this letter in your head, you can sort of think about it like this. Peter begins with a greeting and an initial observation. God, God has given you a new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, this observation, uh, it leads to a song of praise and then a question uh, that you might just ask if you're a Christian and you don't feel like you fit in. And that question is, how am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do? I mean, you can hear uh, the people who receive this question almost thinking in their minds, Peter, tell me what that looks like. And Peter's answer to this question is that you can have hope, you can remain reverent, you can listen to God, you can follow him, you can do it because God has chosen you. He set you apart. You belong to him. And, and when you're weird, when you're strange, when you feel like you don't fit in, the fact that it's God who chooses you, this is what takes something that's bad news and turns it into something that's good news. Because when the creator of everything there is looks at you and says, you belong to me, it's good news. And so that's the, the first uh, half of this letter, let's say, and it brings us to the middle part of this letter and what many scholars believe to be its main point. You are set apart. You are set apart, but you are not set apart for yourselves. You're set apart for a world that God so dearly loves. And so, so you live this way, not for your own sake, but for the sake of others. So that those who see you, those who persecute you, those who accuse you of doing wrong, they might see your good deeds and one day glorify God. That's why you live this way. That's why you do what you do. Now, if you were, uh, if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Mike talk about what it was like uh, to grow up in Ghana what it was like to, uh, to grow up under an unjust government. And uh, you heard the story of uh, what it was like for him to participate in protests back when he was in college. And, and finally, uh, you heard him wrestle with uh, what Peter has to say in the middle part of this letter. And, and he wrestled because what Peter has to say, it's very challenging for us. You see, Peter tells us to do something that doesn't seem fair, or just, or right. 
He tells us to submit ourselves to the ruling authorities, and he tells us to submit ourselves to them even when we don't like them and even when we don't get along. And it's only when uh, they tell us to do something sinful that we're allowed to disobey. You know, Pastor Mike, he wrestled with this. And I wrestle, and, and I imagine that many of you might just wrestle too. But see, that's the point that Peter is actually trying to make in the middle part of his letter. You see, when people see your good deeds, they're going to see a picture of Jesus. They're going to see the picture of someone who did something that wasn't fair and wasn't just and wasn't right. They're going to see the picture of someone who, while we were still sinners, died for us. You know, Peter, he identifies a number of different situations uh, where our lives might just point to Jesus, uh, not just obeying ruling authorities, but in all of our lives as husbands, as wives, even when we encounter suffering. In all of these situations, what you do, your good deeds, might just point other people to Jesus and lead them to glorify God. And at the beginning of my sermon, I asked the question, uh, why are you a Christian? I suggested that, uh, that Peter's answer to this question is, is hope. Hope is the reason that he's a Christian. You know, today's reading, more than any other, I think shows us why that's the case. You see, Peter and the recipients of this letter, they regularly find themselves in these situations that aren't fair and aren't right and aren't just. Situations in which they suffer. It gets so bad that a few years after Peter writes this letter, uh, he ends up getting executed for his faith. And yet there's something about Jesus, something about what he's done, that changes everything for him. He's given us a new birth. That's what he says at the beginning of his letter. He's given us a new birth into a living hope. And it's, it's Peter's way of saying, you know, we may live in a world like this, a world where we suffer, but this suffering, it doesn't get the last word in our lives. And so we may suffer for a little while. We may face all sorts of trials and, and temptations, but the last word that Jesus speaks is new life. The last word that Jesus speaks is forgiveness. The last word that Jesus speaks is, is resurrection. And that's why I'd imagine that if, uh, if someone were to ask Peter, you know, Peter, why are you a Christian? His answer would probably involve hope. Hope is the reason that I'm a Christian. Hope is what makes all the difference. And then Peter would tell you about what happened on the cross. And what happened at the resurrection? He would look you in the eye and he would say, Jesus was dead. But then God raised him from the dead and he said to me that this story, my story, is going to be my story, Peter's story too. And that's why I believe. That's why I have hope. That's why I'm a Christian. Now, if you, uh, if you take a step back uh, from today's reading, if you take a step back from 
uh, 1 Peter, which we've been spending time in. What we've got going on is, is two things. You see, you've got Peter answering the question, why is he a Christian? And then you have this thread that's been running through the middle part of this letter. This thread that says, your good deeds, especially in situations that aren't fair or just or right, your good deeds might just point people to Jesus and lead them to glorify God. See, what happens in today's reading is that these two threads, they, uh, they actually come together because when people notice your good deeds, when they see the way that you look different, they might just ask a question. And, and that's why Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer. You know, there are uh, four little facets about this that I want to draw your attention to as, uh, as we come to a close today. And, and the first of those facets is this. In situations like these, situations that aren't fair or just or right, we might just be the first people who need to hear our response. So I've been, uh, I've been thinking about this question a lot this last week. You know, why am I a Christian? Why do I, Steve, follow Jesus? I don't follow Jesus because it's easy. I don't follow Jesus because I'm always treated in a way that's fair or just or right. Instead, I follow Jesus because he's given me a new birth into a living hope. And it really does change everything about who I am. I mean, that's why I do what I do. That's why I love when loving is hard. That's why I serve, even though I I don't always want to. And it's why I follow him, because even if it costs me everything, Jesus has given me everything. And so I follow him. You see, we, we might just be the first people who need to hear our response That brings us to the second facet I want you to notice, and that facet is this. Peter's concern isn't that we have the right answer. Peter's concern is that we have an answer. That's because uh, in situations like these, the greatest temptation that we face is the temptation to to say nothing at all, to remain silent, to to hide the hope we have because we're afraid that if we try to describe it, we, we might just mess it up or we might just offend someone. That's why I really appreciate Peter's instruction for us. You see, Peter doesn't say, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that someone else should have. Peter's instruction is to be always prepared to give an answer for the hope that, that we have, the hope that you have, the hope that I have. And I know that that all of you have hope. I mean, I've, I've seen it as your pastor over the last four years. So why do you have it? Today, Peter encourages you to be prepared with an answer. That brings us to the, the third facet. When you give your answer, uh, give it with gentleness and respect. You see, if the, the greatest temptation we face is the temptation to say nothing at all, the second greatest temptation we face is, uh, is the temptation to treat this invitation. And, and that's what it really is. When someone asks you to share the hope you have, it's an invitation. It's to treat it like an argument. 
like a, like a battle you've got to win. Like the, the person you're talking to isn't a person for whom Christ died, but rather an opponent uh, that you've got to beat. See, opportunities like this are an invitation. Someone trusts you enough to be curious about why you have hope. And so when you give your answer, give it with gentleness and respect. That brings us uh, to the fourth and final facet I want you to notice, and that facet is this. In moments like these, the person you're talking to isn't the only person who trusts you. Because Jesus also trusts you. And he sends you his spirit, the spirit who, who called you by the gospel, the spirit who enlightened you with his gifts, the spirit uh, who keeps you in the faith. He sends you his spirit so that you might respond. And so my hope and prayer today is very simple for all of you. It's that you would know the one who trusts you. The one who loves you, even in the midst of the very worst, and the one who does, endures the very worst. That which is unfair and unjust and unright, so that you might belong to him. My hope and prayer is that you would know him, and that when you have opportunities to share the hope you have, that you would respond so that others might glorify him too. May God grant this to you for Jesus' sake. Amen.